Hello and welcome to the Beyond Limits podcast. I'm Jermaine Benjamin, one of the directors at Transition Partners. And this podcast is where we invite leaders from the talent, HR and culture sphere to discuss everything to do with attracting, retaining and developing people. Today, I'm really excited. Uh, we have uh, another guest joining us. Eugen Buker is the head of talent development of Aviv Group, if I've pronounced that correctly, hopefully. Yeah. Um, really interested. I'm really looking forward to this. He was introduced by a, a, a colleague of mine, kind of on an email. We've not spoken before. Uh, and what's really interesting about this one is your background in education or background, but also what kind of what you're studying at the minute. So, uh, Eugen holds a degree at the moment in business psychology and is currently studying a second degree in psychotherapy. Um, you've been working in HR development for more than 10 years now uh, with an equal focus on individuals and organisational development. Uh, if he's right to say you, you, you're kind of on a mission to un- really unlock potential of individuals and groups of people by which is, which is really interesting, bringing behavioural science into practice. Um, we've had you know multiple guests on on the podcast before and, and in our network, but actually probably nobody with that kind of experience and, and mission, I suppose, uh, around that behavioural science. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to you, to you today. Um, thank you f- for joining us. Um, if you wouldn't mind just starting with a, a, a bit of an introduction about yourself and, and your journey, that would be wonderful. For sure, for sure. And thanks for inviting me. It's great being here. Um, yeah, so what about me? I started my, my journey uh, in psychology back in 2011. Um, and I'm fascinated about this word. Like for me, the main word or, you know, the second, the, my second name is psychology. For me, psychology is a lifestyle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say like my friends would say that I should marry psychology um, <laughs> uh, because, you know, uh, when you go in the HR world, you see a lot of um, um, temptations maybe to, uh, to practice intuition uh, because people are everywhere yes. and then mm-hmm. you can believe that, okay, I can use my intuition in order to, to run whatever people processes I have to do. Um, but what I'm trying to, to preach around me is that the difference between uh, an intuition and a good book are thousands of opinions and statistically validating conclusions. So even though maybe, you know, you are tempted from time to time to, to use your intuition or uh, at some point maybe you just uh, go with the, uh, with, the, you know, with the flow and whatever comes to you, I always try to say, okay, let's just see what the science says about uh, the way how I should yeah, proceed in uh, different topics or um, uh, things like that. So that's why uh, even now, 10 years later, I'm still checking literature. I'm mm. still reading uh, relevant articles. I don't read that many books in, you know, the, the five steps in the pursuit of happiness. Mm. I would rather go in heavy science and understanding what the science uh, uh, has concluded and then seeing how I can transfer this from the, uh, yeah, into the organizational practice. I love that, and 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 obviously we prepared a few bits around discussion, but there's some bits and pieces I'd really like to to highlight. Uh, and in particular, you mentioned around you know intuition versus maybe the science and and, and a little bit more credibility and valid, validity. I think I'm hearing. Do you think that there's a, a place still for intuition within your kind of decision making and and uh, in 
from a people perspective? Definitely, definitely, because sometimes you don't have the time to do research. Sometimes you just need to, you know, to jump on the fire and to try to, to reduce the fire as, uh, as best <laughs> as possible. <laughs> uh, so then that's the place where you should uh, use your intuition. But anytime you have, you know, you have uh, space enough to do a bit mm. of research, I would rather take uh, this uh, this approach instead of counting on what I saw five years ago or what you know someone yes. told me when I started my career or whatever I believe it makes sense because you know sometimes uh, psychology could be counterintuitive. So just let me just give you an example. We see people who are arrogant or aggressive, and we might believe that they are very confident. But psychologically speaking, behind arrogance, behind aggress- aggressiveness, it's actually a very low self confidence. So I, this is counterintuitive and the intervention mm. there is not on chilling down the aggression, but on increasing the confidence of the employee. Wow. Okay. That's really, yeah. really interesting. So, oh, that's really interesting. I, do you find that there's a need maybe in the HR and people's sphere to maybe delve a little bit more deeper into this area to be able to provide a better better service to you know employees and um internally really from a hr and talent perspective mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know you see sometimes in the hr where people who have or doesn't have a, a educational background in behavioral sciences and you know some maybe when you graduated high school you didn't know exactly what's going to be the, the path forward um so even though you didn't go for whatever social science university i strongly encourage any hr prof- uh, practitioner mm-hmm to get in touch a bit with the behavioral science behind it. Uh, even if you do compensations and benefits, uh, you need to understand what stays behind motivation. And that, you know, we are talking about people who are mostly uh, dri- uh, um, financially motivated and uh, that yeah, we should focus on changing this in whatever other types of motivations. Motivation is there for a reason that the ind- individual has and we can't change it. Motivation mm. is the fuel for behavior. So what I can do is perhaps to select uh, some profiles uh, in my company that are mostly driven by what I can offer. Mm. So this is how I can control it. But I can't change what motivates an individual. This is what it is. (laughs) You take it or leave it. It's very simple. So that's why we all, whatever you're practicing, whatever area you practice from the HR field, you should be at least be aware about this uh, human tendencies and about some basic processes that might be relevant for your um, yeah, uh, area of practice. That's very interesting. I loved your point about um, kind of aggressive and or certain behaviours and actually the underlying issue. That's that's very very interesting and it it moves me on actually to uh, diversity and inclusion, um, which is um, you know we have made some some progress in that area but we're really at 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 the beginning you know we've touched upon certain segments of diversity but actually gosh you know there's so much more that needs to be done we can be done uh, and we're very much on a journey i i think and i'm really interested to find out with your background in hr with your background in psychology how do you leverage that knowledge to be able to promote diversity diversity and inclusion within within a business <laughs> and thanks for this question because diversity is one of my favorite subjects um, <laughs> yes um, 
So I think uh, we need to keep in mind that it's a journey, right? And the journey just started. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we also need uh, some specialists uh, behind this, uh, this area as well. Um, and the first, you know, the first uh, uh, argument I want to bring on the table is the reason why we started to practice diversity and inclusion. And I refer here to the, to the human need of belonging which has a survival meaning for the people. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things we learned in our, uh, you know, in this life is that uh, we can't make it without others. The baby mm. is born prematurely from a functional perspective. You need, you know, you need others around you to get food, to get warm, to get whatever, basically to, uh, to satisfy your survival needs. So this translates into adult life in, uh, I need others not to be safe. Mm. So this is the main reasons why we should keep in mind that diversity practice uh, is so, so important because if I don't feel I belong to a, a space, then uh, I most probably my involvement, my engagement, my loyalty and so on, all these kind of things might get affected a bit. And secondly, we need to reflect what represents the organizational space for the employees. Because, of course, everybody has the reasons to, uh, to, yeah, to drive their professional practice. But one thing is sure for most of us. We spend more than half of our conscious life uh, at work. Mm. Therefore, the organization is the place where I need to be able to express myself. Because if I'm not able to do it, I'm repressing my feelings and I'm going to have a very anxious and depressing employee experience, which mm. definitely will lead to low performance and attrition. Wow. So, yeah, the simple answer here is uh, we need, to, uh, I'm leveraging or I'm trying, of course, because it's a trial and error process here. Uh, I'm trying to leverage my psychology knowledge by understanding the human needs and how these are satisfied at work. And you build on that. Wow, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And I, I love the, the there's an, it's interesting because the way you've described that is there's a lot of depth to it. But you've, mm -hmm. you've explained it in a very simplistic way, which always mm -hmm. indicates to me that somebody understa understands something, right? <laughs> they can break down a, a complex concept. Um, but that Hopefully. is so interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting about, you know, that the belonging, uh, that if you feel that you're belonging, that how much time we spend at work um, and that that improves performance, being able to express yourself and being who you are. Um, that is just, I think you've really hit the nail. And I think actually, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think sometimes we, um, you know, I haven't looked at it from that perspective, you know, and I'm sure a lot of other people haven't. Um, we know it's the right thing to do, but actually understanding that psychological element is is, is brilliant. Um, I would say it's crucial. It's crucial and it's crucial for, because diversity is not a buzzword. It's not a trend. Uh, it's a need and it's a business mm. need. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a human need, could be a social responsibility, but if you are not very much people driven, it's a business strategy that wow. makes people stay here, bring uh, different minds together, because if you have the same type of mind, like neurotypical people or whatever, mm -hmm. in this, at the same table, you'll get the same solution from them. Mm -hmm. And There's nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, go on, go on, for, go on. <laughs> nowadays for sustainability reasons, we need to, you know, to get different perspective on the table. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, there's a book, um, Simon Sinek's book, uh, Rebel Ideas, mm -hmm. which is really interesting about, you know, bringing those diversity of ideas and challenging. It's like you were saying, it's almost an echo chamber. If you have everybody with the same perspective, you can have the same results, right? Um, 
I'd like you to go talk in a little bit more detail, if you if you wouldn't mind, around the importance uh, of training, career development. It leads on to what you're saying around um, individuals' performance within the organisation, um, and I think there's a morale element in here. Um, but fostering employee growth and engagement. Um, from your perspective, your opinion, how do you think businesses can effectively implement training programs to support their employees' professional development? <laughs> I would say effectiveness is the key word here. Right. Um, and um, unfortunately, maybe one of the less operated parts from the development chain. And it's very okay. interesting if you look, you know, as an uh, observer to this, uh, uh, yeah, uh, way of practicing development. We focus so much on delivering an intervention, a bit more on understanding what is the need, and not at all in measuring if it was effective or not. Uh, and it's mm. very interesting. It's very, very interesting if you uh, look at this kind of, of trends. And then, of course, my question is, do we really uh, understand as a HR development field, uh, what kind of value are we able to provide? since you see less focus on this effectiveness part, which from, for me, it's like the reason why I'm doing it. So if I'm not measuring it, I'm not aware if I managed to reach it or not. So uh, I'm not sure if I was successful or not. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I say an effective development, uh, that this is an effective development program, for me means uh, two main things. Firstly, the right person or the right group goes to the right development intervention. One of the guiding principles that I am preaching everywhere is that one-size-fits-all approaches will bring only awareness. Not skill, not knowledge, only awareness. And with awareness, you can't, um, or you can't base your strategy and your business growth on your people being aware about something. Because the skill is actually the one that is going to drive the behavior, not the awareness. The awareness is going to influence the attitude towards the subject, um, maybe. Um, and then the second thing that I want to, that I'm looking at when I'm saying this is a an effective development program, um, is that at the end, the learner has a great attitude towards the subject. Um, the, the learner uh, knows where to find the right resources, uh, in order to operate the subject, because it's all about how you're going to use it. If you go to a time management training and I'm staying one day in a fancy hotel, getting fancy food, and then I'm going back and I'm having a messy uh, agenda, <laughs> sorry, it was What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah. And then also they should have experience in using the knowledge. Nowadays, knowledge is everywhere. We should not mm. focus that much on teaching the knowledge. We should mm. focus on how to use the knowledge. Application, right? Exactly, yes. exactly. So I'm looking at these things when I'm saying that, you know, uh, a program was effective. And then that's the first part from a um, program quality perspective. And then you also, at the end of the, the training, you can expect that the people have information, but not the skill. So they, you, as a company, you need to provide the context where this information is translated into skills. Mm. Um, so only if these are facilitated, like you know, right person into the right intervention, they have a great uh, uh, output after the training, they have also the space where to practice the information, then we can say, okay, what's in it for the employee and for the, rel for the company is relevant and you know, the investment was very, done, uh, very great, greatly done. Wow, that's really interesting. And I think that's, you know, I've worked in environments, I've worked with L&D teams, I've trained, I've coached. But actually, that is so key what you mentioned. We focus so much on 
the training and the information, mm -hmm. but actually the skill and the application is the most important part. How can you take that and use it in day to day, right? And it's interesting, right? Because it's like pure logic what we discuss. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, still, we don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm saying human tendencies are counterintuitive sometimes. <laughs> Abs absolutely, absolutely, and it, and it's simple, right? But it's also still quite profound, you know. It's it's yeah. I, I mean that that's actually. I wanted to ask you about coaching because I think mm -hmm. there's an element, you know, there's training and there's information, but actually coaching is where some of that information settles and transitions into being able to be used practically. Um, I come from a. a uh, many years ago, I used to play football and and did uh, football coaching. So. Nice. Um, yeah, so some element of that. I don't know if I did it too well, but that's a different topic. But, <laughs> but um, cheers. So, so around coaching employees and supporting their personal and professional development, can you move on into that area and tell us around any kind of success stories or techniques that yield positive results? Obviously, your background in, in psychology and, 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 and um, psychotherapy that you're studying at the minute, how, how that feeds in as well, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, so definitely I'm using techniques from the psychotherapy world, but those mm -hmm. techniques are also used in coaching practice. So I'm not stepping on any boundaries, right? Because we should not go and discuss about the childhood at work. That's uh, something else. So yeah. yeah, I'm trying you know, to see what kind of techniques could be transferable in this okay. uh, kind of talk, the context. Um, but one of my favorite techniques is actually the silent therapy or silent coaching, uh, which means okay. that I'd say, I say nothing. So all my intervention is based on my body language. Like, you know, I am, if they are, you know, expressing uh, something which is very sad, I uh, like uh, adjust my body in such a way that they understand that I am, you know, I'm getting that uh, sadness. Wow. Okay. Or, all these kind of things, yeah. And I use these kinds of interventions when a person, you know, sometimes people, you uh, when they are in distress, they, some of them want solutions, some of them want to ventilate. Mm. And if they want to ventilate, then you are going to give them a solution. You are going to become the enemy. So don't do that. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's just that's why it's this contracting uh, contracting question, like how can I do for what can I do for you today? It's very important in order to have a healthy relationship with your counterpart, and also to understand if you are willing to invest time in whatever the agenda is uh, from the others uh, from the counterpart. Uh, and I had the situations like the longest silent coaching that I've done was fifteen minutes. A five zero, I just wow. just imagine how much uh, was kept inside and how much this person needed to take out, mm. and that's very uh, good for the organization because if you don't let them to take it out, this is going to be uh, expressed in a way or another in other relationships. Yes. People who are less ready than me to handle it, yes, and you don't know what can happen in the company. And and, yeah. and surely it's expressed in behaviours, right? Some, of course. Of sometimes course. negative. Okay. Just just that's really really interesting about the the silent uh, intervention. So I'm just interested to dig a little bit on that. Is that so? You know, you're sat in a coaching session one to one. You know, the people that will listen to this. Is that just really about kind of mirroring body language, adjusting body language mm -hmm. to how? 
people respond. Tell me a little bit, little bit more about how that looks. Um, really, if for somebody who's like, listen, this is an interesting. I'm interested. You know, <laughs> how, how does yeah, how does how does that look uh, in a little bit more detail? Yeah, oh, you can mirror the behavior in case mm -hmm. it's needed. Um, what I'm trying to do is to show them the answer that I uh, uh, would express verbally, but I don't want to stop their uh, conscious flow of getting the tension out. So then what yeah. I do is to show with my body that I am understanding and then I'm holding the space for them in order to express whatever the tension is. And that means sometimes, you know, you stay with your head a bit, uh, you know, or, uh, not very straight or sometimes you are just, uh, um, yeah, uh, manipulating your face in such a way that you are showing this empathy. Yes. It's not like I am faking it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really feel what I'm showing it. It's just that I'm not expressing it verbally, but I am very conscious that my body will express what I feel. Wow, so they will okay. get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because That's... in any kind of intervention... Sorry, please. No, 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 go, go ahead, go ahead. That's really interesting. That's all I was going to say, yeah. In any kind of intervention, like coaching or psychotherapy intervention, what actually helps is the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, the counterpart or all our traumas or our the reasons why we get into conflicts is because uh, we um, or most of the time we, feel, we don't feel understood mm -hmm. so that's why uh, when you want to, to help a person to ventilate themselves what you need to do is just to show that you understand them one mm -hmm. thing is that you understand another thing is that you agree so very important doesn't mean that you agree with them I can do silent coaching even with uh, I don't know a person who has an antisocial behavior because I can understand why they did it due to their whatever childhood yes. or whatever context or but it doesn't mean that I agree I just understand it okay yes yes that's really interesting and, and, I, and I love that point and so one of the things that I have to try and be disciplined on um, is sometimes you know somebody will come and there's a problem or you know they want to vent you know and, and, and sometimes I'm kind of like, well, have you tried this or what about, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, just hold back. So that's really interesting. And I'm going to try to try to practice that technique in, in a little bit more. Um, and certainly the understanding bit, that, that is key, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If the question uh, for, you know, when I'm trying to give solutions to my counterpart is who is actually the person that needs solutions? Mm. Is it my counterpart or maybe it's me, mm. you know, and then you can, you know, step out of your way of solving your problem and be mm. more empathic and understand with your counterpart and curious about how is their way of solving it. Mm. I like that. Curious. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, changing, changing tact a little bit um, around, you know, thinking about newer people that come to the organization. Um, and the experience in terms of onboarding and then integrating. Uh, obviously, that plays a, a crucial, crucial role in helping new employees adapt and, and actually um, perform and thrive as quickly as possible because that's what everybody wants, right? Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the best practices and strategies you have seen, done, you know, that maybe you could recommend in terms of onboarding people? Um, that's something that we've looked at on a couple of occasions uh, and we're always trying to refine it um, but uh, yeah what's your what's your kind of advice and take on on the onboarding side of things 
Mm-hmm. Um, all the time when I'm talking about onboarding, integration, whatever, I want to emphasize the following idea. Uh, it's not realistic to expect that someone will perform at the, their full capacity if they are not integrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the time a person changes the reality, even though even they change the team or they change the company, the skills tend to decrease not because they lose expertise, but because they still need to understand how to use the expertise in the new reality. Mm. So that's why it's so important that we take care of, you know, uh, integrating people properly. You have this profile from consultancy world, external consultancy, that come in a company, jump on the topic and solve it. So mm. maybe for them, the integration needs are uh, not that big, so you can do it in a, you know, more in a high level way. But most of us are coming from industry, we say. Uh, mm-hmm. meaning from the in, like internal like consultants or whatever kind of roles, internal roles. That means you need, you, you are not used with jumping on topics, changing realities all the time. So the integration period is going to be a bit longer and requires a bit more. Mm-hmm. So what I recommend here are, um, or the way how I practice integration is uh, firstly, I need to think about the induction. Induction means for me the first day, the first week, and it's the survival kit. Uh, what the newcomer needs to know in the first day, what is the key they have at hand in case of whatever, um, anything, who is there to answer their questions and so on. Basically a survival kit. And then I need to tackle uh, integration from three perspectives. Social integration, what relationships need to be settled, because relationships could be at work, could be facilitator or incubators for performance. So you need to have to set up the right network for the newcomer in order to enhance their uh, performance. Then you need to teach them what is the organization, uh, how the organization looks like, meaning uh, what are the company specific topics that uh, the newcomer needs to be aware of, like how HR is done, when the, the salary is paid, how I'm tracking my time, whatever, stuff like that. And then I need to take care of the functional integration, how work is done here. So. If I'm tackling these four, like integra- uh, induction, social integration, organizational integration, and functional integration, everything should be translated into a plan with goals, due dates, responsibles, resources, and needs to be provided to the newcomer in the first day. Uh, and very, very important, there are no two chances for the first impression. So very, very uh, important this part. I, I love the intentional structure you have there. Um, it sounds very robust. Um, Within that process, do you sometimes tweak that onboarding depending on, I don't know, level, um, diverse, diversity background? Um, you know, is there some? Do you recommend? Do you sometimes add some variety into that process? Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. One size fits all approach will bring all your awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I would d- do it. Uh, for me, those are those four are dimensions, not necessarily um, uh, uh, like very precise guidelines. Yes. Because even a, a CEO or a C-level who join the company, they still need to have induction. Mm-hmm. They still need to be socially integrated. They still need to understand how the company works, and they still need to understand what how the work is done. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing is that maybe a C-level we need less guidance. Mm versus a fresh graduate. Yes. But another thing is to believe that the uh, C-level doesn't have the same integration because at the end of the day, also C-levels are human Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a framework, isn't it? And within that yeah. is a variety. Yeah, I-, I love that. I love that. Then you adapt it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to ask you around um, 
how have you uh, managed change within an organization or change management initiatives? Um, again, with your really interesting background around the behavior, people's behaviors, you know, um, there's obviously that element, and I think sometimes that's missed when anything is new in a business or anything's changed. Um, how do you go about making sure, you know, what methodologies do you have in place to, to make sure those changes land successfully? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, I, I kind of develop my own methodology for uh, driving the change um, because I perceive change as a morning process. Um, where the impacted population, um, yeah, by the change, they are losing a reality. Uh, mm-hmm. So if they are losing a reality they are familiar with, most probably they are also comfortable with that. So they are going to resist in def- different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember once a discussion I had while I was an external consultant um, with one of you know one of my clients, uh, and I was trying to tell them that we need to do change to make to run some change uh, readiness analysis. And uh, uh, the person told me, uh, but and why do we do this? It's not like if we realize the company is not ready for the change, we are not going to launch the change. No, we are still going to launch the change, but we will know, know what risks we should mitigate, how the strategy needs to be adapted, and so on. Uh, so when it comes about you know uh, increasing change adoption. We need to, or what I do, is to think about uh, psychological adoption, what my uh, target population thinks and feels about the change. Very important, those are very different things. Um, and behavioral adoption, how proficient my target population is in acting according to the change and how quickly they are doing it. So then the first thing in the change uh, uh, management process is to run a stakeholders analysis to understand who are the profiles, whom I'm talking to. There are people who talk about numbers, people who talk about quality, people who talk about you know results or whatever, people who talk about people. Then you need to adapt your communication strategy in such a way that will reach to all of these kind of profiles mm-hmm. in order to make them think and feel okay about the change. And only after that, you start with the learning part. Because if you start with the learning part, you are knocking at the door without tackling the psychological adoption, you are knocking at the door where no one is at the reception desk. Mm. They are not interested in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. That's, that's really interesting. And I suppose, would you say the communication element then, and you mentioned that quite a bit, is that one of the keys to be able to deliver that the change successfully? I would say, so what I do in my change uh, approach is focusing on communication, on user experience measurements, on engagement mm-hmm. nuggets, on learning nuggets. Uh, like I have many, many uh, mm-hmm. actions, not necessarily only communications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to, you know, to reach this psychological adoption from different perspectives mm-hmm. um, and to uh, build up a lot on promoters and to uh, reduce yeah. the, the, the circle of uh, detractors a lot. Uh, yes. And I'm not doing it by making them stopping, uh, talking, you know, bad things about the change, because this is not the, the, the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are still going to talk about bad things about change if they want to do it. So they, you know, uh, change adoption is not done in t- town hall meetings. Mm-hmm. Change adoption, uh, as uh, diversity as well, is done in coffee breaks, in meetings, when the management is not there all the time. So then what you need is to have ambassadors in all this kind of, uh, you know, social bubble from the company that whenever the detractor steps out with whatever they have to say, 
the ambassadors is uh, is equipped with the right arguments uh, to you know to mitigate this kind of uh, attitude. And the scope is not shutting them out, but the scope is to you know convincing them to perceive the change as a benefit for everybody. Mm, yes, I, I really like that. I love the idea of the ambassadors and and you know people within the business who will promote um, the change. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, Eugenia, I really love the um, the depth, the psychological depth behind <laughs> your thinking and and the work that you're doing with people. Um, just really to to wrap it up for 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 us, uh, anyone listening, could you just give us kind of your kind of top tips, really, or advice, really? And I know I've caught you off the spot, maybe with this, but like given your education, the work and experience that you've done, you know, if you could say, you know, here's two or three things that you feel um, are really impactful for anybody who works in that that people, you know, senior, or, or actually not necessarily senior, they're on the journey, they're early in their experience maybe, uh, and they want, you know, with your experience, they're looking ahead and thinking, what are a couple of things, bits of advice that, that I can take on, on my journey? What, what would you recommend? I was just going to say, I've caught, you, I've caught you off guard with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. no what I, maybe what I would add is um, we always should measure and not assume um, because we are all selfish. <laughs> And I'm talking about selfishness in the best sense of the word. And that means anytime I'm judging someone, I'm judging based on my standards and I'm, I'm interpreting the behavior based on my way, my reasons for doing that behavior. Mm. So I would not assume uh, I would all the time measure. That's why data driven is so, so important, especially nowadays if you want to be competitive, both as a company or as a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then curiosity. Curiosity is so, so important. The biggest enemy of uh, uh, development is self-sufficiency and to believe that you are done with development. This is an arrogant attitude, of course. Um, And yeah, curiosity is the way how you can mitigate this. So I would, you know, use this too. Whatever you are doing in this life, no matter if you are in HR, in whatever, data-driven, like measuring and not assuming and curiosity are uh, keys in order to, you know, uh, enhance your success. Uh, absolutely brilliant bits of advice there um and i really really love the curiosity element and i think that sometimes requires a certain person who who you know genuinely likes to learn and understand people uh and i highly respect you in your profession for that um i could speak to you all day um, <laughs> but um, I, <laughs> but i want to i want to wrap it up and say Thank you so much for joining us. It's, I have to say it's been one of the most interesting conversations I've had um, around this, this field. Um, and, I, and I'd love to at some point, um, once you're further along in, in maybe the psychoanalysis, have you back on at some point and see how that, that's impacted things. Uh, um, so what I'd say... Uh, Thank you, anybody who's listening. What, as usual, I say, if you have any questions, drop me an email, jermaine.benjamin at transition-partners.co.uk. Eugene's been fantastic. Thank you so much again for joining us. Um, And uh, yes, much, much appreciated. I really enjoyed that. Thank you.
hopefully this is helpful for everybody who is listening and thanks for the invitation really appreciate it and i had a great time fantastic thank you very much cheers <laughs>